0: Good morning uh, when Dan when we were praying before i was I asked Dan if he would play back here while I preached like for the whole sermon because he's really good and we need some mood music um, now let's let's pray and we'll dig in uh, Father um, I need you uh, and at the same time i'm faced with the Um, precious truth that you do not need me and I pray that you would allow your word to go forth and land where you want it to land in Jesus name amen today we're continuing our study or series in Colossians and we're almost finished with it we're in Colossians 4 the last chapter um, and we'll be covering verses 2 through 6 if you want to look it up I don't know uh, exactly why God chooses to use uh, broken people to deliver the gospel and His eternal word to His people, but He does. He did it in Scripture, and He still does it today. So that means I'm here <laughs> and prayerfully begging God to allow me to say what He wants said, nothing more, nothing less. And when I preach, I do my best to personalize what I'm covering. And there are two reasons for this. The first reason is because I realize that I'm ultimately preaching to myself. I need Jesus desperately, and this is never more clear and obvious to me than when I'm standing on the side about to come up here, (laughs) and when I'm up here. Uh, The second reason is because as a lamb shepherding lambs, I cannot effectively instruct and challenge you to become someone that I'm not becoming myself. One of our core four objectives at Christ's point is experiencing authentic community. I believe strongly that the only way that I can lead others into biblical authentic community is by being appropriately authentic myself. And this means being transparent. I don't want to correct you without sharing how I've been corrected. I don't want to challenge you to do something that I'm not also being challenged to do in my own life. As I've shared previously, God has grown me a lot over the last, uh, over my life, but I've got a really, really long ways to go. Um, He's brought me a long way compared to where I was, so um, that's a good thing. One area where this is true for me is in the area of communication, and this, communication, is what we're going to cover in our time today. The big question that I've been wrestling with in preparing for our time is, how is my communication? both with God and with other people, with the world. This is huge, and sometimes it's a scary question, and it's been hanging over me for a couple of weeks, and so now I want to bring you in on this too and ask you, how is your communication with God? And how is your communication with others? I've realized over the years how important communication is in my life. My communication with God is essential, and the same is true for you. We might call it different things, terms like prayer or communing or worshiping, but whatever we call it, we're talking about communicating with God. And even when we might drift away for a period of time, we're still communicating, right? Life and death are wrapped up in this relationship, our relationship with God, with the depth and the health of our communication. I also communicate with my wife, Anne Marie, and with my, my kids, Gavin and Ava. With my parents, my extended family, church family, co-workers, clients, friends, and some of you I communicate with regularly. And maybe you're sitting there kind of going, he's kind of brave to talk about this because he ain't very good at it. I don't know. But we're all constantly communicating. We're communicating with those around us even now. I mean, through a glance, through our body language, through a gesture, we can give a certain look and the other person knows what we're saying without ever saying a word. I've realized that Anne-Marie can tell me, hey, don't wear that, or can we go home, all with her eyes. She never has to say the words. This is one thing I've learned by being married and also having teenagers in the house, that I'm actually communicating even when I'm quiet. In fact, sometimes the best form of communication is simply keeping my mouth shut. In other words, often what I do not say actually speaks louder than what I could have said. Does that make sense? The importance of communication is the same for you too. You are in constant communication with God, whether you know it or not, and with those you know, and also with those that you don't know. And the bottom line is, we all spend a major part of our lives communicating. It can be difficult, but it's vitally important. The question is, do we communicate well? Do we do it effectively, in a healthy way, striving to get better for our good and for the good of others. In our text today, we'll cover these two areas of communication, completeness in our communication with God and effectiveness in our communication with the world. As I always say, I need help when I preach. (laughs) And in my own study of today's text, I've been encouraged by the work of R.C. Sproul and Kent Hughes and John Piper, and I'm grateful that I can lean into into their wisdom. So let's read our text, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. (laughs) Just so you know, the author of one of the commentaries I reviewed for our time did four sermons on these five verses. Okay? I'm serious. Four sermons. There's a lot here. We could camp out for a month in what we just read. But James is in a hurry. So we're going to get through it in one day. Okay, no, he's not really in a hurry. But we are going to, get, we're going to do our best and hopefully cover it and let God do what he wants to do with it. The first verse we read in verse 2 is the first area we're called to. Completeness in our communication with God. By completeness, I mean wholeness and healthy, authentic, and consistent. The primary way we do this is through prayer. Verse 2 says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Simply put, at the very heart of our communication with God must be full devotion to prayer. The idea here is persistence in prayer, continual prayer. Jesus encouraged this by telling the story of a widow who got her way with a godless, uncaring judge because she nagged him. It was a parable, Luke says in Luke 18.1, to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Such continual prayer was a trademark of the early church. In Acts 1.14, we read, "...all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers." The apostles were constantly encouraging consistent and persistent prayer. Paul also challenged the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. This is full, continual communication with God. Now, at this point, two questions come to my mind. The first one is, why is this necessary? And the second one is, how is it possible? First, why is this necessary? For better or worse, I'm always asking why I need to do something. That might be a character flaw. I don't know. But there's a famous business book out today called Start With Why, meaning that if you do not have a good answer for the question why, then you might be in trouble from a business standpoint. And the same could be said from a personal standpoint. I recall a time in my life where I believed asking why for something biblical or about something biblical was almost sacrilegious, that somehow I was disrespecting God. I'm thinking some listening to me now or or watching now, might be wondering if I'm going to get struck by lightning for asking why to a biblical command. I mean, this is a command. A number of years ago, I was talking to a really good friend of mine about how I was, um, I was mad at God. I was mad at God about some things that had happened in my life that were painful. I needed somebody to blame, and the shoe fit. And I was telling my friend how worried I was at the time that I was actually mad at God, that this felt like a sin. It felt like I would be damned to hell for this. And this friend who's a believer and one of the most secure people I know made a comment that I've never forgotten. And I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but a lot of it's word for word. He said, I think God can handle your anger. I don't think God is that fragile. I mean, what if he actually is glad that you're finally telling him the truth about how you really feel? And those comments stopped me in my tracks. It had never crossed my mind that God might actually want to know what's really on my heart. As if he doesn't already know, right? But still, this was a seismic shift for me at the time. And since then, I've come to realize that God loves to hear us ask why. When we really want to know the answer. When we're honestly seeking the truth. So I'll ask again. Why are we commanded here by Paul to continue steadfastly in prayer? Well, first, let's define what prayer is. I love John Piper's definition of prayer. He says, prayer is asking God for things. So think about it. This is what prayer is. Anything and everything that we pray, that we desire, that we ask for, for ourselves or somebody else, that's what we're doing. We're asking God for things. I don't know if, uh, if you know this or not, but your heart is a desire machine. Piper calls it a desire factory. So we take Him our desires, and what is God's response? Proverbs 15.8 says, The prayer of the upright is His delight. So it's not only a command that we pray, it's not only His will that we pray, it's almost like that's not a strong enough word. He loves to hear from us. God is so eager to hear our prayers and respond to them that He says in Isaiah 65.24, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. This is, why, this is the why behind continuing steadfastly in prayer. We win when we pray. Our desires are stated and brought before God, who loves to hear from us and answer our prayers. And it's that simple. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? And yes, I do ask this. I ask God this. And I've come to realize that he loves to answer it because he knows that what I and every other human being ultimately craves is him. So we've answered the why question, or at least started to. Now the question is, how is it possible? How is it possible to continue steadfastly in prayer? Are we always to be carrying on the verbal dialogue while we go through our life? I mean, this can be risky. I mean, if you go around talking to yourself for very long, they might put you somewhere where they lock the doors from the outside. We cannot constantly be praying, otherwise we would never really be present wherever we are. I cannot pay attention to my wife's conversation if I'm praying at the same time. It's just weird. I think think what Paul is including here is not only the speaking of words, but the position or the posture of our heart. Here I cannot help but think really quick about, uh, my mind goes to John 15, where Jesus talks about abiding in him. And I want to read a few verses because these these are just amazing. John 15, verses 4 through 8, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. That's powerful. Thomas Kelly wrote in his book, Testament of Devotion, there is a way of ordering our mental life on more than one level at once. On one level, we can be thinking, discussing, seeing, calculating, and meeting the demands of external affairs. But deep within, behind the scenes, at a profounder level, we may also be in prayer and adoration, song and worship. I like that. See, I believe we can practice being in the presence of God. The time we're working and going and doing during the day does not have to differ all that much from the time of prayer. It's all worship. And for me, speaking for me, I I find uh, myself engaging God in three areas, in three different ways. First, over the last handful of years, I start every day on my knees, confessing to God, My complete inability to finish well on my own. Acknowledging that He is the only hope I have and asking Him to help me this day, today, to live according to His will. I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. For now, I'm only focused on today. And you may find this a bit heavy or maybe too desperate, but it's biblical. I know my own heart, and your heart isn't likely very much different. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I've found that God responds to desperate prayers. Second, I've created a written list of prayer requests that I keep and pray through regularly. Names of people, many people in this room, desires I have, dreams I have, struggles I have. Anything that I want to pray about goes on this list. And the list travels with me. When I go out of town, I take it with me, and I typically I try to pray over a portion of it every day. And third, I pray quietly when dealing with situations or tasks during the day. When I'm reading the Bible, I whisper, show me. When I'm in a meeting or, or, or making a tough phone call like I had to make this week, I'll, I'll whisper, I'll just, while I was on the phone, I was like, help me, help me. I'm constantly asking, help me. When convicted for something, I'll say, forgive me. And I'm sure there are many other ways and um, methods that you guys have as well. Just sharing some of what I've found that's worked for me. And I've found that God meets me in these times of prayer. Paul continues in verse 2, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So when we're praying, we're offering our thanks to God for who He is and for His provision. I believe this is intentional. Part of learning how to pray well and pray effectively. As you may or may not know, at Christ Point, we gather every Sunday morning at 945 to pray. We pray for about 15 minutes. We usually circle up on the barn porch or the gravel just outside. Anyone and everyone is invited to join us, and our focus is on issues and things related to Christ Point and the gospel. We've made it an intentional habit to start our prayer time with thanksgiving only. Like, no requests. I don't know if you've done this before. But taking time to pray and only offering thanks, we're not asking for anything, this felt weird for me at first. I was convicted because I realized how the vast majority of my prayer time has been spent in the give me and help me mode. Maybe with a little sliver of thank you, Jesus, at the end. But I'm so glad we've stuck to the Thanksgiving time during this prayer time. Even this three to five minutes with others where we're not asking for anything, we're just offering our praise and our thanksgiving, I've started to glimpse in some small way what David means when he prays in Psalm 27.4. I love this verse. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. So the recognition that all of what I crave and desire and want and need are ultimately met in the person of Jesus. And being with him satisfies me at my deepest level. This is what pausing in thanksgiving does for us. Don't miss this. We get it. We see what the world does not see. And we experience the peace that we crave, that we chase, that we pursue We receive the peace, we experience the peace that we long for, that only the Holy Spirit can provide. What Paul is also telling us here is that this full devotion to prayer is possible in a busy life. Being devoted to prayer does not mean that the mind goes into some kind of devotional mode where we're in la-la land. This is not about some kind of stream of consciousness that we just kind of live in a trance while the world hustles around us. I believe Paul is calling the Colossians and us to develop a habit of prayer. We're to be mentally alert to the situations of life, the dangers of life, and the needs of those around us, ready to launch into fervent prayer at any moment. Paul's parallel challenge in Ephesians 6.18 presents this more directly. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. There's a lot of alls in there. All of this is part of complete communication with God. This devotion is vigilant and it's also serious. At the same time, it's amazingly positive because it's thankful. It remembers God's goodness, the stunning goodness and beauty of the gospel. So I'll ask you again. How is your communication with God? Is it moving toward completeness? Is it moving toward health and consistency? For me, I've made progress, but I have a really long ways to go. Sanctification is a lifelong process. We've got to continue to develop the habit of prayer as we live in His fullness. Again, from earlier in our study of Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul tells us, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So, if your life falls short, come to Jesus now in prayer. He loves to hear from us. And when your heart is overflowing, it'll flow up to God in communication, alert, and also with an attitude of thanksgiving. And now we come to the second area that Paul is calling us to, effectiveness in our communication with the world. Let's read verses 3 through 6. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Paul starts his call to effectiveness in our communication with the world by first asking for effectiveness in his own communication. Now, I might be wrong on this, okay? but I don't, I don't read this and think God is asking me to pray for Paul. Paul's dead, right? He's in heaven, Um, Instead, I'm to pray this for us as a church at Christ Point, for the church across the globe, for the ministries that Christ Point supports like Uncharted and CIN, for Operation Christmas Child and the ministry partners who are proclaiming and advancing the gospel where it's not safe to do so. We're to pray again steadfastly and with thanksgiving that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. What's interesting is that Paul is in prison when he writes this, and he doesn't ask for release. Paul did not seem to care whether he was in prison or not. He just wanted more opportunity to communicate the gospel. It was preaching the gospel that got him into prison, and he didn't stop when he was there. R.C. Sproul says of Paul in these verses, I like this quote, Note that Paul does not ask for the church in Colossae to ask for his release from Roman imprisonment, which he certainly could have done. No, realizing that there can be just as many opportunities for the advance of the gospel, even though he is in chains, the apostle prays that the gospel, the mystery of Christ, would travel freely. Perhaps we should follow his example, praying not so much for the alleviation of our own suffering or the suffering of the persecuted church around the world, but that the gospel would go forth freely and powerfully even in the midst of trouble. Paul's sole mission was to communicate the gospel. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 8 and 9, we hear Paul saying of his Ephesian ministry, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Then again in Acts 20:31, he told the elders at the Ephesian church that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So Paul's desire for opportunities to preach the mystery of Christ is a model to us. Now, This isn't just some guy that 2,000 years ago devoted his life to Jesus and we're just reading some of his helpful hints. This is applicable for us today. And Jesus expects this of us today. What's also a model is how Paul wanted the Colossian church to also pray that the gospel communication would be clear. In verse 4, he says, Pray that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Unfortunately, this is not always the concern for many preachers. (laughs) A lot of folks like to make sure you know where they were educated and show you how much they know. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I love. Any fool can write a learned language. The vernacular, which is the native speech or the lingo, is the real test. If you, don't, if you can't turn your faith into it, the vernacular, then you either don't understand it or you don't believe it. And I'm not saying theology is wrong, of course. We need deep thinkers who can explain the ramifications of our faith. But, and there always seems to be a but, this type of complexity is more for a seminary classroom and not so much for the side of the hill where Jesus uh, ministered to the multitudes. As many of you know, I'm an insurance broker. And some of you might go, yeah, what's the, so what? The most boring job on the planet. Well, it's not. I sell disability insurance to physicians across the country, and I love it. I love it more every day. It's so cool, and I think one of the big reasons I think it's cool is that the people that I work with are cool. These physicians around the country, these are some of the smartest people I know. They're the 1400 to 1600 SAT folks, often the smartest people in many rooms they walk into. Not always, but many times. But they do not know much about what I do. They don't know much about disability insurance. I mean, why would they, right? So my job is to educate very smart people on a topic they know nothing about in order to move them to purchase coverage for them and for their families. All within a pretty short period of time without making them feel dumb and while building their trust and their faith in me. And I've discovered that there's really only one way to do this well. And that's to know my subject, in this case disability insurance, better than anybody on the planet and then to continue to get better and better and better at communicating this knowledge in the simplest terms possible. My clients have told me too many times to count how they appreciate this, and this has surprised me how grateful they are that the discussion and the process has been simplified. And I use this simply as an illustration that I believe is applicable for the gospel. Jesus was incomprehensibly profound, literally the God of the universe. But at the same time, he was simple and patient in his expression. Simply put, for those that Jesus was pursuing, okay, for those he was going after, he put the cookies on the low shelf. And this is what we're to do also. I cannot show off my knowledge, what little knowledge I have, or my vocabulary and still teach as Jesus taught. It's not possible. Not if I want to reach them for eternity. And this brings us to our final two verses, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Here the Holy Spirit is telling us to let your life be loud in a noisy world. The Colossians, again, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. We're being called today, just like the Colossians were being called then, to walk in wisdom toward unbelievers. This is a heart posture, okay? We live daily with our wits about us, prayerfully discerning what God's will is for us. This means living out what Jesus says in Matthew ten sixteen, which I love. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we don't waste time on frivolous and silly pursuits. An entire sermon could be done on the comment, making the best use of the time. This is so powerful and contradictory to our culture today. As Paul instructs us in Romans 12:2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Then Paul says in our last verse today, verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I see this as gracious speech. Speech that comes from a heart that has been changed by God's perfect grace. From an eternal standpoint, this speech shouts even when we whisper. Jesus says again in Matthew twelve thirty four: For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. As grace flows through the heart, it flows outward in kindness toward others, specifically outsiders in this text. This type of conversation is not boring. In fact, it's seasoned with salt, it says in verse 6. So what does that mean? It means flavorful and savory, even scintillating. Not sure what that means, but it means scintillating. Not the dull or maybe uber-religious vocabulary that's often demanded in some church circles. Paul is referencing thoughtful speech, speech with content. It's joyful and witty. It's appealing and it draws people in. Jesus' followers in their gospel are to be interesting. We are called to speak into people's lives where they are according to their interests and needs. We meet them where they are and the world cannot help but notice. A young friend of our family who's attended Christ Point for a number of years, I don't want to mention her name because she's easily embarrassed. She did an internship in Europe uh, a few years ago at one of the government bodies. I think it was in Austria. She's a strong believer and said that what was interesting is that when she got there, it became clear that her role was all work. Very little else, and there was really no opportunity that ever presented itself for her to speak about her faith much less ask anybody else about their faith. And this is something that she would have weaved into conversations. When the internship ended, her boss called her into her office and asked her about her time there. And so as they were debriefing, she said her boss mentioned in her conversation that she wondered about our friend's Christian beliefs and how she noticed it in her work ethic. And our friend told us that she never said anything about her faith. Okay, nobody knew. Now, maybe her her boss had sniffed it out. Okay, now maybe she had dug around and asked around. That's not the point. The point is, is that if you are a Jesus follower, you are salty. You are sticky. I picture a sticky bush that somebody walks by and gets their, their shirt or their jacket or their sweater stuck. The bush didn't do anything. Okay, the bush is just sitting there. A person walks by it, and the bush does what a bush does. It's sticky. Now, maybe this picture breaks down at some level, but it impacts me when I think about it, just being sticky as, you know, while I live my life, while we go through life. And if we, as we live our lives, if we're truly Jesus followers, now if you're not a Jesus follower, all bets are off, and you need to Seek Him and find Him and pray. Talk to an elder. Talk to James. Find somebody that does know Jesus and figure out how to do that. Pray quickly. All bets are off. I can't emphasize that enough. But if you are Jesus' follower, then your Christian beliefs will emerge. They cannot not emerge. And as we pray for salt season speech, we will find opportunities to discuss the gospel in more detail. In closing... John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And here the Word means Jesus. Before the creation of all things, Jesus was eternally continuing as the Word. What's good is that Jesus is still the Word. Because of this, He is the ultimate communication to us. He fills us. He sanctifies us. He finishes in us what He started. Our response back to Jesus can only be one thing, allowing Him to cause our hearts to overflow in communication. Communication with God in continual and prayerful devotion with thanksgiving, and also communication with others as we invade the world with the gospel, with clarity, grace, and salt. This is proper communication for hearts that are filled with the fullness of God. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for bringing your spirit and causing um, uh, your spirit to live in us. Let this go deep and give us courage to live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.